they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers, and uh, I'll be here. I'm, Terry's going to try and come in later, but we are having a, an interesting event here at the chapel today. There was a veteran, his first name is Michael, and he had been homeless. He was a Vietnam veteran, was homeless. He died over three months ago in a hospital here in the Covina area, and he had been left in the morgue and forgotten. Apparently he had no family, no friends, nobody claimed him, and so the... Um, the hospital morgue finally called a local mortuary that sometimes has funerals at our chapel here and said, uh, will you guys bury this man? And so they said, yeah. So they called Terry and said, you know, what can we use the chapel for this? And Terry said, yes. And they've asked Terry um, to, to say some words and to say, lead some prayers for this man. And um, I think the veterans, um, oh, what do they call them? The, a, a veterans group got together locally to, to try and get some people to come and pray for this man. And then I've, a friend of ours, Richard Marshall, who is also a Vietnam vet, is joining them. So Terry's over there at the chapel, and you can pray for this man, Richard. Excuse me, Michael. Michael was the one who died. Richard is our friend, um, who was also in Vietnam. And um, they're just going to say a few words about him and, and acknowledge his life, that he, he um, did serve our country. And um, thank you, God, for that, and may he rest in peace with God. So we're here on this um, December 17th, Tuesday of the third week of Advent, which happens to be the beginning of the countdown to Christmas where we begin the O Antiphons before the gospel. We have the Alleluia verse and the first O Antiphon, which are summarized in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the song that we sing during Advent. The first canticle, O wisdom of our God most high, guiding creation with power and love, Come to teach us the path of knowledge. So we're asking God, who is wisdom, to give us his wisdom and to teach us the path of knowledge. He is the creator, and he guides all things with power and love. He loves us. This is why he created us. And the gospel today is from the gospel of Matthew, and this is the one we all love so much. And some people love it so much that they kind of ignore it. <laughs> or they read over it as if it doesn't mean a lot. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob and Esau. Excuse me, Jacob. Jacob became the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab became the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz, excuse me, Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, the king. David became the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon became the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah became the father of Ram, 
no, excuse me, Joab became the father of Jotham, 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 the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the Babylonian captivity. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud became the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zarak, Zarak, the father of of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Thus the total of the generations from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. And from the Babylonian exile to Christ, 14 generations. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here you have all these names. So what does it mean? So, so what? So you have all these names. I mean, begat, 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 became the father of, became the father of, became the father of. Well, if you were a Jew, when you read through this, number one, if they were trying to make Jesus out to be somebody special, it was, it's interesting, some of the names that are included in here. There are um, four women mentioned in, in the genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, and then you also have at the end a fifth woman, Mary. But what's interesting about these women? Well, Tamar, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah had married his oldest son. His oldest son had married Tamar, and they hadn't had any children. And God had struck his oldest son dead because his oldest son was wicked. Now, the second son, Onan, married Tamar because he was supposed to raise up children to his brother because his brother died without children. That was the Leverite law. And um, Onan didn't want to do that. So Onan... Um, practiced coitus interruptus and spilled his seed so that Tamar couldn't conceive. And God struck him dead. Now, some, some commentators will say, oh, well, that's because he broke the Leverite law. Well, excuse me, the punishment for breaking the Leverite law was to, to, take somebody's, to take their sandal and slap them in the face. You didn't have a right to put someone to death for breaking the Leverite law. So it, it doesn't measure up. It, God struck him dead for his wickedness. God, God saw this as something very wicked, that, that a man would do this. In other words, to use their sexuality just for their own pleasure and not for the purpose of procreation. Okay? And then, so Tamar is supposed to marry the youngest son of Judah because the youngest son of Judah now is supposed to raise up a, a child to his brother. Well, when Judah's youngest son becomes of age, Judah had sent Tamar home to her father until his youngest son comes of age. When the youngest son comes of age, Judah's going to skip town. And Tamar gets wind of it, so she dresses up like a prostitute and sits at the city gate. And she seduces Judah. It's interesting that Judah doesn't recognize her. And um, she becomes pregnant with twins, as a matter of fact, which they don't know at the time. But What she had demanded in payment for her services was his staff and his ring. Judah didn't think anything of it until it became evident that his daughter-in-law was pregnant. And he's like, oh, now I'm free of her. 
She's played the, the harlot. I can have her stoned to death. So she brings him out. She brings, he brings Tamar out into the public square, denounces her, is going to have her stoned to death. And she said, that's fine. But I want everyone to know that the father of, my ch- of the child I carry is the owner of these. And she, so, she shows Judah's staff and his signet ring. And everybody recognizes it. And Judah is caught. So even though Judah didn't keep <laughs> the Levite law and he was going to have his youngest son break it, nonetheless, God raised up through his daughter-in-law to a set of twins, uh, Perez and Hezron. Uh, Perez, excuse me, Perez and, and Zara, And Perez becomes the father of Hezron. Now, Hezron was the father of Ram and father of and um. And then we have another, a name comes in here. You have Nashon, the father of Solomon. And Solomon was the father of Boaz. And Boaz's mother is Rahab. Well, who was Rahab? Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho who hid the Jewish spies from the people of Jericho and got them out of Jericho without the people of Jericho being able to capture them. And so... When Jericho fell, remember Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and he, he did what the Lord said seven times around the city for seven days, praying and singing songs to the Lord. And then on the seventh day, the whole, after the seven times they walk around, the whole community shouts and God tore down the walls of Jericho. The whole thing crumbles. But Rahab and her family are saved because it was promised to her that since she protected these spies, she wouldn't die. Well, then she marries a, a man of um, Israel and she has a child, and the child's name is Boaz. Well, who's Boaz? Well, Boaz becomes the father of Obed. And Obed's mother is Ruth. And Ruth was the Moabite woman who was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi and her husband, there was a famine in Israel. Naomi and her husband had gone to Moab because there was food. They had, they had two sons. Both their sons married Moabite women. Ruth and um, the other one's name escapes me at the time, but... The, the, then the sons die. The, fa- the husband dies. The sons die. And so it's just Ruth and the daughter-in-laws. And so then Naomi hears that there's food in Israel. So she's going back to Israel. And her daughter-in-laws are going to go with her. And she says to them, no, go back to your people. And so um, the one daughter-in-law goes back. And Ruth says, I don't want to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And don't make me leave you. So Ruth comes back to Israel with Naomi to take care of her mother-in-law. And so Boaz hears about Ruth, what Ruth has done. And Boaz is a kin of Ruth's father-in-law. And so he's, he has a right to marry her. And so Boaz does marry her. And then he becomes the father of Obed, who is the, um, excuse me, Obed. Yes, he's the father of Obed. And then Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. And David is the one who becomes king. And the next one who comes in line here, we get Solomon, whose mother was the wife of Uriah. Her name isn't even mentioned, that she was the wife of Uriah, that da- pointing to the fact that David had committed adultery. Oh my, there's the music. And it's time to take a break, but I hope you're listening and, and I hope you're help- this is helping you to understand that this genealogy really is important and all of these names have meaning. And by the way, every human person has meaning to God. So we, all of us have meaning before God. So um, get a fresh cup of coffee or tea and uh, be back in just a few minutes. Thank you for joining us at Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
welcome to our January 11th, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular, well-attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist, and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance, and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of spiritual warfare. This is going to be a high-information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best-selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars, come and join us, and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular belief, spiritual warfare is not demon-centered. It's Christ-centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, West Covina, California, on January 11, 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus' name. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. According to Pope St. John XXIII, it is not true that some human beings are by nature superior and others inferior. All human beings are equal in their natural dignity. May God help us to look upon everyone as a person created in His image and likeness and treat everyone the same without favoritism or prejudice. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org 877-LIFE-US1 Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. And Terry's doing this funeral here at the chapel uh, for Michael, the, the Vietnam veteran who died on the streets. He was homeless and died on the streets. So may God have mercy on his soul. And Lord Jesus, pour out your precious blood upon him for healing. He was one of those men who fought for our country and then um, joined the ranks of so many veterans who are on the streets so pray for our veterans and those who have defended our country and pray for our president and our civil and government leaders our vice president and all the people who rule our country so we have this um as scott Hahn liked to refer to it the genealogy of christ as the hall of shame almost in many instances you have some beautiful women in it um you know um you have Rahab, who nobly defends the Israelite slaves, and then, uh, excuse me, Israelite spies in Jericho. And then when, after Jericho falls and Israel comes into the Holy Land, Rahab embraces the religion of Israel. She embraces the God of Israel, and she marries an Israelite. And so she helps to carry on the Messianic line by the grace of God. Um, Ruth, this beautiful woman who gave up her own people, she left her own land, to go take care of her widowed mother-in-law. She's a widow herself, but she realized, I'm young. I can still work. I can go out into the fields and, and pick up. Because in Israel, you didn't take everything out of the fields. You left some for the widows and orphans. But the widows and orphans had to go out and pick it up for themselves. 
they didn't know and did it for them. Well, Naomi was too old, and and Ruth recognized this, and so she went to take care of her mother-in-law, and and she carries on the messianic line. And then we have the wife of Uriah, and you remember the story that David was, his troops were out on campaign. They were fighting the enemies of Israel, and he's back in Jerusalem relaxing and um, neglecting his duty, essentially. And he lusts after somebody else's wife, and he takes her for himself and has relations with her, and she gets pregnant. And when she sends him word that she's pregnant, he sends for her, her husband and brings him back. He was the armor bearer of, his, of his, uh, um, the chief of his army. Uriah was the armor bearer of Joash, the, the chief of David's army. And so um, Uriah comes back, but when they were on campaign, the men were not supposed to spend time with their wives. So David gets a report from Uriah about how the battles are going, and then he sends him home to his wife. But Uriah won't go because he's not supposed to during time of war. He's not supposed to be with his wife. So he doesn't go home. He sleeps with the other soldiers who are guarding the palace. So then the next night, David brings him back and has dinner again. Only this time David gets him drunk and then tries to send him home. And again, Uriah doesn't go home. So now David writes a letter to Josh and says, okay, put him where the fighting is heaviest. And when the battle gets really intense, draw back and leave him. David orders Uriah to be killed. So David commits adultery and then he tries to, then he commits murder to try and cover it up. So that when, when he gets a report that Uriah is dead, he takes Uriah's wife as his own wife. And he doesn't even recognize that he's done anything wrong. All this has gone on, and he's not even... And so then the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, David, I have a, I have a, I have a, a case for you to judge. And so Nathan tells him this, this case of... There was a man who had um, thousands of flocks, and his neighbor had one ewe lamb that was like his own daughter. And so the man with thousands of flocks has a visitor come in, and instead of taking something from his own flock to feed the visitor, he goes and he steals the ewe lamb of his neighbor. And David said, the man shall die. (laughs) And Nathan says, you are the man. And then David recognizes his sin. That's what it takes. And then he does repent, and his repentance is true. And that child died. David begged for the life of that child, and God took the life of that child and said no. He he allowed that child to die. And uh, But then, nonetheless, the wife of Uriah is the one through whom the Messianic line is carried because she becomes the mother of Solomon. And it's through Solomon that the Messianic line is continued. And then the next woman, of course, who is mentioned is Mary. Um, Joseph is spoken of as the husband of Mary. He's not the father of Jesus. And it, and, and it was of her that Jesus is born because Jesus has no earthly father. But these names all have meaning. And believe me, go through the Old Testament and read the stories of these names. Jesus came from a real human line that was filled with real sinners and also holy people, holy devout people who really strove to live in union with God. So the genealogies are important. The names are important. You know, God calls us each by name. He knows each one of us intimately and personally. And that, that's a love relationship, a father to its child. God loves us deeply and intensely, enough to send his own son. So read the genealogy. Read it with a different set of lenses maybe next time and realize that Jesus was not ashamed to be associated with sinners. Isn't that lovely? 
Isn't that profound? Isn't that such a joy for us? <laughs> Jesus is not ashamed to be associated with sinners. You know, we're all sinners. We're all in this together. Thank you, God, for saving us sinners. And we trust in his mercy and love. Jesus, I trust in you. Now, last week, I promised that I would talk about the idea of predestination. And it's mentioned in Romans 8. And this is in Romans eight twenty nine through um, 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in this chapter 8, Paul, in this later part of the chapter, Paul is talking about the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Okay, I consider the sufferings of the moment as nothing in comparison with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And then he goes on and he's talking about God's foreknowledge. All right. Some people have interpreted this to mean, and this was during the time of the Reformation, you had this false interpretation that God had predestined some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell and you couldn't do anything about it and that's just the way it was and that's it. It's already determined ahead of time where you're going. That's not the case. That is never what the Christians believed. It's never what the, the, the scripture taught. God predestined God's will, his wish, his desires that all men be saved. What was it Paul wrote to Timothy? God wishes the salvation of all men. God didn't make hell for men. He made hell because Lucifer rebelled against him and he had to make a place for the angels to go, the the fallen angels, the ones who rebelled against him to go because they couldn't be in heaven. They couldn't go to heaven. They had never been in heaven, by the way. They had to pass the test first. And the test was, will you submit to God's will and accept his plan? And we all have to pass that test. Are we going to submit to God's will and accept his plan? Or are we going to follow the father of lies and follow his plan? And by the way, the father of lies is only a creature. He's not God. It's not like Star Wars where you have a light side and a dark side to the force and, and they're both equal. No. Satan is nowhere near as equal to God. He's only a creature. So what does it mean? Well, here we have the predestination and God has a foreknowledge, all right? He knows what we're going to choose. But God made us free. And there's a reason for this. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And in the beginning, when God made man, he made man in his own image, after his own likeness. Let us, by the way, he says in Genesis, let us make man in our own image. The trinity of persons, the the plurality in God, that there are three persons in one divine nature. There's only one God, but there are three persons in them. They're all co-equal, but they share a common life. And that life is a, is a life of love, and it's always giving forth life. It's always renewing and, and alive and dynamic. So man is made in God's image. Well, if we're going to be like God, then we have to love. But if we're going to love, we have to be free. You see, it's only love if it's free. This is why when two people get married... They're asked at the altar, have you come here freely without reservation and without coercion? Have you? 
If you haven't, it's not a valid marriage. You have to freely give yourself, just like God freely gives himself. The Father freely gives himself to the Son, and the Son freely gives himself back to the Father, and the Spirit spirates from them, and the Father and the Son give themselves to the Spirit, and the Spirit gives himself to the Father and the Son. But it's a free act. So we too have to act freely. So God gave us freedom. He gave us freedom to choose. Well, is there any indication anywhere in the Gospels that maybe, you know, that we should respond by doing some kind of work, by showing that um, we really accept this? Well, think of a garden. If, if, if a gardener, if you plant a garden, uh, is it enough just to plant the garden and plant the seeds and just let it go? What are you going to get? Do you have to pull the weeds? Do you have to till the ground and make sure it's soft enough? Do you have to sometimes put fertilizer on it? you have to water it? You have to tend the garden, don't you? Well, we have the parable, don't we, of the, of the, the owner of a vineyard. The, the man planted a vineyard, and he, he goes out and he plants the vineyard. And, he, you know, he, and then he lends it out to tenant farmers. And that's it, right? End of story, right? So then the, the, the tenant farmers get everything that's in the vineyard, and it's all theirs, right? No, the owner comes back at vintage time. To collect his share of the grapes. We have to work the vineyard. And again, there, there's the parable of the, you know, the, the talents. Where the, the man is going off and he gives talents to his servants. A certain number according to their own abilities. And they're supposed to make something with it. And the man who takes the talent and goes out and buries it in the ground. Is condemned. Throw him out into the darkness. All right. We need to tend the garden. We need to do the work. It's not that God predestined us to go to heaven or go to hell. God made us for himself. He desires our salvation. He, he gives his own son to win salvation for us. But he's not going to force it on anyone. Everyone has to freely choose. They have to freely choose whether or not they are going to cooperate in this plan of God. If they're going to participate, if they're going to accept from God all that he wishes to give them. And there are several passages in the scriptures that are, that are um, cross-references to this. To this um, and and in just in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, you have in Corinthians 15, 20, 23, 20. Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. And in Philippians, you have verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 21, and Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that, yes, God's foreknowledge is not such that um, God is determining what we're going to do. We have the freedom, and we have to choose in freedom whether or not we are going to respond to God and carry out his work. We have to cooperate. God made us without asking us but he's not going to save us without our cooperation so are we going to till the garden are we going to water the plants are we going to pull the weeds are we going to bring in fertilizer if it needs to be brought in and we'll be right back i hear that music we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back with more of bible with the barbers on virgin most powerful radio thank you for tuning in
Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app for him. I went on vacation, and, you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, He's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes uh, the Terry and Jesse show on the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Wow. Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back. Thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back here. Now, is there any, um, what do you say, is anything what I'm saying rooted in what the church teaches? Remember, the scripture comes from the church. The scriptures didn't come first. There was no canon of scripture until the bishops of the Catholic Church made the canon of scripture at the, the councils of Hippo and Carthage, all right? So we, the church is the official commentator and interpreter of Scripture. And without the church, we cannot fully know and understand what the Scripture says. So in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and by the way, if you want to understand a particular passage in Scripture, that what, what is the church, how does the church read it, you might look at the Catechism and, and look up some of the, the passages and how the church comments on it. And she always is rooted in history. We're always, we don't um, put aside what the church has always taught for ages. So in paragraph 257, the church is talking about the divine works and the Trinitarian mission. And what it says is, and this is connected to the, the, the idea of predestination. What is, what is predestination in a Catholic view? What do, how do we view this? O blessed light, O Trinity and first unity, God is eternal blessedness, undying life, unfading light. God is love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
God freely wills to communicate the glory of his blessed life. Remember what I said that this passage, first of all, is in in Romans 8, is about the glory that we'll share? The glory of his blessed life. Such is the plan of his loving kindness, conceived by the Father, the plan conceived by the Father, before the foundation of the world in his beloved Son. He destined us in love to be his sons and to be conformed to the image of his son through the spirit of sonship. This plan is a grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, stemming immediately from Trinitarian love. It unfolds in the work of creation, the whole history of salvation after the fall and the mission of the Son and the Spirit, which are continued in the mission of the church. So you see, it all stems from the life of the Trinity. And we are free. And this is, when you think of predestination, we have to remember we are free. God's desire is that we all be saved, that we all say yes to him. But you know what? He won't force any of us because he wants us to love. He wants to participate in his love. So we have to freely open ourselves to that love and invite it in. So that's what we want to do is invite that love in. And that's why, you know, Paul at the beginning of that, in verse 18, he says, I consider the sufferings of the present not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What what it said in paragraph 257 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we will share in the glory of, of God. We're going to share in the glory of his son. We become sons in the son. And all of that, brings in those passages from from St. Paul where we we see that we are made to be an image of his son. The other passages, whenever you read a a passage of scripture, try and get a Bible that gives you the cross-references, okay? So for Romans 8, uh, 29 through 30, the cross-referencing passages are Romans 9, 23, 11, 2, and then 1 Peter 1, 2, and 20, and then Ephesians 1, 5, and 11, where it talks about that being in the image of God, being made in his image, being made to be an image of God and to, to show forth God's glory by the things that we do. By the things that we do. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ. This, was, this is what God desires. In him according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. This is what God desires. So he doesn't predestine anyone to go to hell. God doesn't condemn anyone to hell. Okay? It's about adoption. And it is a mystery. It's a great mystery. But trust God. He desires our salvation He desires it so much, he sent his only son who sacrificed his life for us. And we want to respond to that and we want to say yes to God the way the Blessed Virgin Mary said yes. And this is, we're getting very close to Christmas here and of course the the reading for today was that genealogy. And remember, God didn't force Mary. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and he says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And Mary's deeply troubled and wondered what this greeting can mean. And he says, don't be afraid, Mary. You will conceive and bear a son. 
and you will call his name Jesus, and great will be his dignity, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob for years to come, and his kingdom will be without end. How can this be, since I have no husband? I have no relations with a man, is what she says. She doesn't say I have no husband. She does have a husband. She's married to Joseph, so she did actually have a husband. I have no relations. I know not man. I have no relations with a man. Well, she's already married. Um, what, that's why the church believes that she intended to be a perpetual virgin. And the angel said, don't worry about it. I mean, he didn't say don't worry about it, but, you know, he said, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Hence, the holy offspring to be born of you will be called the Son of God. God himself will take flesh in your womb. And this, this of course, is a mystery. It's a mystery beyond man's comprehension. Nobody ever dreamed that God himself would truly become man to the point of being in, incarnate in the womb of a virgin as a, as a little tiny you know, embryo and then grow into the fullness gradually. He will grow and develop as a normal baby. And then when it comes time for his birth, there's the virgin birth. And by the way, read Isaiah 66, verse 7. Someone, I was answering app listener questions and somebody um, mentioned that particular verse and I went to look it up and I, then I looked in the lectionary. It's never read in the lectionary. And I was like, oh my word. It says that before her pains of labor come, she will be delivered. And without going into labor, she will bring forth a son. And I'm like, why is this never read in the lectionary? We need to read more of the scriptures. And I remember once somebody, a priest once saying, you know, when we're reading from a particular book of the scripture, we can't read the whole thing to you at mass. But the church intends for you to delve into that book at that time and read more deeply into it and come to know it better. And so there it is, Isaiah 66, verse 7, and it foretells the virgin birth that without going into labor, she will bring forth a son. And I'm, I, was, I was stunned. I don't ever remember reading that passage or hearing that passage read. Even in all my studies, I didn't get to Isaiah 66. So it's like, oops, I didn't quite do all my homework, I guess. You know, there's only so much time you have. But do, I, I encourage you, really study the scriptures and strive, strive to come to a deeper understanding. And so Mary was free. God asks her, Will you cooperate? And he asks each one of us the same thing. Will you cooperate? Will you let me do in you what I want to do? Will you let me accomplish my will in and through you? For the praise of the glory of my name, that my kingdom would come and my will be done. God desires all of us to help build the kingdom. That's our mission. We have a mission. People, we are on a mission. We're on a mission to build the kingdom of God. We're on a mission to glorify the name of God. We're on a mission to do God's will. Not to be entertained. Not to feel good. Not to have all the friends in the world or be the most popular or the most rich or whatever. We are on a mission to build the kingdom of God. And that means to follow Jesus Christ and allow Jesus Christ to come to full stature in us. That we become sons in the Son. That this predestination that Paul's, that, what does he go on to say? Predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. 
in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. God shares his glory with us. God isn't stingy. You know, when we praise what God has done in his saints, it doesn't make God angry. God isn't jealous in that way. God is jealous in this way. I am the Lord your God, and you will have no strange gods before me. We do not worship the saints. We don't worship the Blessed Mother. We don't worship the angels. or We worship God alone. But when we tell, I will praise these godly men, my ancestors, and I will tell their name in the assembly. I believe it's the book of Sirach. It's read on the feast of Saints Joachim and Anne, which is August 26th, every year. And, and it talks about how, yeah, we praise, and in praising God's works, we're praising God for the works that he has done. And God wants to do these same kind of works in us. He wants to make us holy. He wants to make us his own children. I'm sorry, the Feast of St. Joachim Anne is July 26th. It's not August 26th. Good morning, St. Anne. You know, it's funny. They call it the Feast of St. Anne. Most people do, and they forget about Joachim. It's Joachim and Anne, you know. And it is Sirach. It's Sirach 44, 1, and then 10 through 15. And it talks about how I will speak the praises of those who have done the will of God, who have allowed God to have his way in them. And this is what we're called to do. And, and so the predestination is not where God has said, these people are going to hell and these people are going to heaven. End of story, that's the way it is. No, every man has a choice and each one must choose. There was a poem. To every man there opens a way and ways and a way. And the high soul walks the highway, and the low soul gropes the low, and in between, on the misty flats, the rest drift to and fro. To every man there opens a highway and a low, and every man decides the way his soul shall go. Yes, it's up to us to make the choice. God offers us the grace, but are we going to cooperate? He gives you the bucket to water with, you know? He planted the garden, he tilled the soil, but you have to go out there and do the rest of the work. Are we going to do the work? Are we willing? And hopefully we're willing. So Lord, make us willing. Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. If you want to make a donation, call 877-526-2151. We're coming um, to the end of this section, one more section in this program today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in just a few minutes with a conclusion of Bible with the Barbers for today. This is Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This March, VMPR, in association with the Catholic Resource Center, will be hosting a special conference for the Adoramus Society. Adoramus at the Triduum, a conference on the spirituality of the Triduum liturgies, featuring speakers Father Joseph Fessio, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and Christopher Carstens, addressing such topics as developing a liturgical spirituality, the spirituality of Holy Thursday, the spirituality of Good Friday, and the spirituality of the Paschal Vigil and Easter season. It all takes place March 14, 2020, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street, Covina, California, 91723. You can register online at vmpr.org 
or call now at 877-526-2151 to reserve your seat today for Adoramus at the Triduum. Jesus said to the apostles in Luke chapter 10, Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. According to St. Boniface, in her voyage across the ocean of this world, the church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on course. May our Lord help us remain ever faithful to his church, to aid and defend her. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, welcome back. As I said at the beginning of this program, Terry is doing a funeral today for a gentleman, Michael. I've forgotten his last name. He was a a Vietnam veteran who ended up homeless, and he died um, at the hospital, uh, local hospital here in Covina, and he was left in the morgue for three months. He had apparently had no family or friends to claim him. And so um, just a couple of weeks ago, the hospital called uh, a mortuary that sometimes you know, calls, calls us to have funerals at our chapel here and asked if they could come pick up this body and give this man a funeral. So we're doing a funeral for him today at the chapel to pray for him and to thank him for his service and, and to honor all veterans. And so um, that's where Terry is right now. I want to remind everyone, today is Tuesday. I do have Bible study at 7 p.m. from 7 to 9 at the chapel. Um, We are currently studying the Book of Romans, but um, if you have questions, you can always bring them. And I do do try and answer the app listener questions, and I um, sometimes get questions that are a little difficult, and I am not, I tend to be wordy, and I know that. So, um, for instance, this week I had a question uh, a gentleman asked, and I... I was like, oh, okay, how can I do this concisely? So I called another biblical scholar. As a matter of fact, (laughs) my niece-in-law, Kimberly Barber, the wife of Michael Barber, and I asked her assistance in helping me answer one of the questions. And I was really grateful that I knew that I could do that. I was confident that she, I know Kimberly's brilliant and she could help me out. And it was wonderful. And I'm so glad. So uh, if you have questions, don't. Don't hesitate to write your questions in on the app, and I do try and answer all the questions that come in. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. Thank you for your questions. We also get the prayer requests, and we do keep those people in our prayers. Um, we need donations continuously to keep going here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You've got to, you know, pay the bills. Um, anyone who wants to make a donation can call 877-526-2151. So the Bible study will be tonight, 7 to 9, And then I have another Bible study on Thursday afternoons 
from one to three. I don't do a different topic both times. I'm trying to stay, you know, we're covering the book of Romans and I, but there are people who cannot come out on a Tuesday night and I know that. And so we try and do a a Thursday afternoon and afternoon time for Bible study also. Um, We will not have Bible study next week because next week, Tuesday is Christmas Eve and I'm, and there'll be masses and things for Christmas Eve that people are attending. So we're preparing for Christmas. And um, so one of the reasons I, I did, took quite a bit of time on the genealogy today because it is close to Christmas and and it's also that genealogy there in Matthew it, it takes a lot it's not don't just read through those names and say oh well another name another name well who is you know go back into the old testament and try and find these names look these people up and see who they were some of these people were good you know holy men but some of them weren't so good you know Ahaz he had all the you know the Jezebel and uh, and and yet he, he, he is the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was the one who restored the proper worship to Israel so that when the Assyrians came against the southern, they had already taken the northern kingdom off into exile. They come against the southern kingdom. Hezekiah has restored the worship in, in Israel. He's, he's, sent, he's cast out all the, the idolatry out of the temple. And, um, and so when the king of Assyria sends his troops against him, and, you know, they, they, send, they send Hezekiah a note, don't let your God fool you into thinking that he can deliver you from my hands. I've conquered the whole world. And Hezekiah, he doesn't panic. He doesn't call up the troops. He doesn't number his, the, the army. He, he goes in before the Lord with the letter, and he says, Lord, do you see what this man says about you? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Perfect trust. Perfect trust. And that night, 185,000 Assyrians died in their own camp outside Jerusalem <laughs> and they had to go back shame face it now unfortunately they took it out on the Jews who were in exile in the north uh, you know up there but um, the reality is is that perfect trust in God now and it's what's wonderful is Hezekiah started out great and he started out with that perfect trust but in his old age he, he kind of wavered you know it's like Solomon Solomon started out great with that perfect trust in God and and but then in his old age he weakened he he did everything God had said not to do. He said, God said, don't multiply wives. Solomon multiplied wives because he made alliances through marrying women. Um, don't multiply gold. And Solomon multiplied gold and, and heavily taxed the people. Don't multiply horses. You know, don't build up your army. And Solomon built up his army. And, and he collapsed. It, it didn't, he was relying on himself. He, at first, he relied on God. He realized he was weak. He was young. He needed God's help. And he turned to God and asked for wisdom, and God gave him this wisdom to which no one could compare. But then in the end, and the same with Hezekiah, he begins with this great act of trust in God. And in the end, when God tells him, don't worry, you know, later on, don't worry about these guys who are breathing threats against you, I'll take care of them. Hezekiah, he trembles and he falters and he doesn't trust in God and he makes an alliance with someone he shouldn't make an alliance with. And it's like, Lord, that, you know, we're supposed to pray for the grace of final perseverance. We can start out well. You know, this idea that, you know, oh, once I profess my belief in God, that's it, I'm done. I never have to. No, Solomon started out very well, but he didn't persevere. Hezekiah started out very well, but he didn't persevere. And how many? You know, over and over again, we have to ask for the grace of perseverance and final perseverance. And now is the time that we're walking with Our Lady. We're getting into these last days before Christmas Read the antiphon, the gospel alleluia antiphon for the next, you know, up until Christmas Eve. That, that it, 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 who is this that is coming? 
Today we're thinking about the wisdom of God and, and how wise he is. And God is God and we're not. You know, what was it the prophet said? You know, his ways are above our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth are his ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. You know, God tells us, your thoughts aren't my thoughts and your ways aren't my ways, people. We have to learn the ways of God. And this is Mary, perfectly trusted in the Lord. She trusted him completely. She never wavered and she persevered to the end, but she never took her eyes off God. Remember when Peter's in the boat and there's a storm and and Jesus is walking on the water and Peter's like, well, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Peter, come. Yeah, it's really me. And Peter gets out and he's walking on the water and all of a sudden he perceives the wind and the wave and he begins to falter. And he starts to sink. Lord, save me. Well, at least he cried out to the Lord to save him. So Peter stumbled along the way quite a bit, but he persevered to the end. And, and so, you know, this is the story of our lives. We need to ask for the grace to persevere unto the end, to never get tired of following the Lord, even if it gets lonely or dark or we're confused. Lord, I want to follow you. I only want to do your will. What is your good will and pleasure? I want to do all that is in your plan for me. I want you, Lord, to accomplish in me what you desire to accomplish. You know, we have a beautiful angel, a guarding angel at our side who wants to help us, who wants to give us light, who wants to inspire us and encourage us. He's there, but we got to listen. Take time to pray. Stop and pray. Our lady prayed. She was a woman wrapped in silence, and so was St. Joseph. St. Joseph, we don't have a single word in scriptures recorded of St. Joseph. We have very few words of Mary. You know, how can this be? Let it be done to me according to thy word. And then she goes to visit Elizabeth. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit exalts in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. For behold, from henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things to me and holy is his name. And he has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. And he has shown the strength of his arm. He has routed the proud of heart. He has cast down the mighty from the thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent empty away. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, according to the promise he made to our fathers, of his, his promise to Abraham and his descendants forever. God is faithful, and Mary proclaims his greatness. And the last thing she says is at the wedding feast at Cana, when she tells Jesus they have no more wine, and he calls her woman, and he's not putting her down. That's a whole other Bible study. But then she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. These are Mary's last words to us. Do whatever he tells you. But wrapped in silence because she is practicing the presence of God. She constantly lives in God's presence and she desires only that God's will be accomplished in her. And so we want to follow this example and we want to pray and ask Mary to pray for us and pray with us. We can pray with each other. We can pray for each other. We can ask the saints in heaven to pray for us and with us. We can ask our guardian angel to pray for us and with us. We can ask St. Joseph to pray for and with us and our patron saints. So that we too, you know, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that we too will strive forward to accomplish the goal. And it's a constant striving, constant striving. And we must never grow weary of the struggle. And so in order not to grow weary, we need time for prayer. 
and take time for prayer. This is Advent. We're supposed to be emptying ourselves of the things of this world in order to be filled with Christ, to have room for Christ to come in. If we're filled with the things of this world, where's the room for God? We need to empty ourselves of ourself, our selfishness, our own preconceived notion, our perfect paradise. You know, it's like, Lord, but wouldn't it be better, Lord, if it was this way, you know? Oh, gee, but I can tell you how it should be, Lord. And the Lord's saying, I'm waiting for you to be quiet <laughs> so you can learn how it should be. And he'll wait. So let's enter into the silence and, and enter into prayer and spend some time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Seriously, Bishop Fulton Sheen said, at the Eucharistic Congress in 1976, that everyone needs to make the daily holy hour. He said, we're living in a time where the faith is under such attack that everyone needs to make the daily holy hour if they want to maintain their faith. Spend an hour in prayer with our Lord every single day. If, you have, if you're not doing an hour right now, start. Start with 15 minutes. And then build up, build up. Continue that. And, and be more and more, enter into prayer Prayer is a dialogue. It's a conversation with someone who loves us. By the way, it's a conversation. It's not supposed to be a monologue that we carry on with God. Okay? <laughs> okay, God, are you listening now? Okay, this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And God's saying, well, when you're quiet, I'll, I'll speak. You know, and it's like in our whole prayer time, and it's like, well, I'll wait for the next time you come to prayer. Maybe you'll be quiet and I can speak. So um, enter into that silence with Our Lady, the beautiful silence of Mary. And and ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit. I want to remind everyone that this Saturday, although the beatification of Fulton J. Sheen has been postponed, um, we are having a Mass to pray for the beatification of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen here at the chapel Saturday. Uh, We'll begin at 8.30. Between 8.30 and 9, we'll pray the rosary, and then we'll have this Mass at 9 o'clock. Father Wolfgang uh, from the Opus uh, Angelorum, the Orders Canon Regular Holy Cross, will be giving a talk on the angels. Uh, which is perfect for this time of year. And then um, we're going to just have a little get-together outside. So if you want to bring some refreshments and drinks, it's not going to be a, you know, a big meal or anything, but you, everybody can bring a little something to share. And we want to just share and pray together. And thank God for the life of this beautiful bishop, Fulton J. Sheen, and the example he set for us of prayer, of fidelity to the church, under suffering. And he did suffer. And he suffered at the hands of the church, but he never took it out on the church, and he never condemned the church. You know, what saint is there that hasn't suffered at the hands of the church? We have to pray for the church, and we have to pray for each other. So thank you for joining us, and next week we'll see you again, I hope, on Bible with the Barbers. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests Oh my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church, grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.